afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Modern Times Podcast. John Guzan here with Karen Weil. Hi, Karen. Good afternoon and hello to all the listeners out there. So glad you're with us. Today, another edition of Political Profundity, our interesting topic about some cool political things going on. Um, This time we're going to talk a little bit about the Arizona legislature here in the uh, home base of Modern Times Magazine in our backyard here. And then as we have been, typically um, Donald Trump is still dominating the political discourse. So we're going to jump into that afterwards. Um, Probably spend a lot of time on uh, Senor Trump. I think that's a nice way to refer to him from the Southwest. Um, Karen, let's... let's, let, let's go jump right in here today. Uh, the, the initiative process in Arizona is under attack, and so is um, the ability for people to protest. Right. We have, um, let's see, what is the House Bill 2404. Um, they're trying to get rid of our initiative process here in Arizona. And then it is a Senate bill, I believe. Um, Senate Bill 1142, um, even going to bring in racketeering laws to stop people who are protesting, um, or, or the, the impact seems to be trying to stop people to protest by saying that they can throw you in jail and take money if something goes violent or, or there's some sort of riot protection. Um, the uh, the protesting bill seems like it's 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 kind of part of that national wave. I know we really didn't talk about that leading in, but there's a bit of a national wave going on. Um, and and let me read this one um, you know paragraph from the Arizona Capital Times on their story on it. It says SB eleven forty two that's Senate Bill eleven forty two expands the state's racketeering laws now aimed at organized crime to also include rioting. And it defines what constitutes rioting to include actions that result in damage to the property of others. But the real heart of the legislation is what Democrats say is the guilt by association and giving the government the right to criminally prosecute and seize the assets of everyone who planned a protest and everyone who participated. That, to me, yeah. seems, one, um, not enforceable um, or not... Uh, yeah. it, it, it doesn't seem conducive to the Constitution, um, but no, it does not. But but morally, um, you know, what do you want to talk about first? Um, how 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 indignantly outraged you are morally or uh, constitutionally? Oh, I think I mean, look, in a court of law, morality only goes so far, right? Right. No higher court would. Well, I don't want to say no or never because we've seen that word. Um, that doesn't always apply now. Does yeah, it? tossed around lately, right? Decisions either from voters or from our government, but I think this bill would never stand up in most courts because it's a blatant violation of the First Amendment. Um, it, it just looks to me, I, I find I find it ironic, one of the people speaking in favor of it, Senator Sylvia Allen, is from Snowflake. Right. You know, the, the favorite word that Trump supporters like to throw around about people opposed to their president I'd like to say to her, who's the snowflake now? The mere fact that you need to have a bill like this basically tells the rest of us that you know most of this country doesn't support Trump, doesn't like him, didn't vote for him. And and, and something like this is just a way somehow to minimize criticism of it, and it's not going to work. Uh, Certainly when the Tea Party was protesting, you know, seven, eight years ago, 
People had every right to do that, whether somebody agreed with it or not was irrelevant. And that goes for the same for any lawful, peaceful protest against any politician or or policy. This is just ludicrous, and it's um, it's pathetic and it's embarrassing, frankly. Uh, one of the real interesting things I think that popped up. Um, one of the uh, uh, Democrats, I'm, uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, uh, mentioned it, but they said that just foundationally and, and procedurally how this could be um, um, carried out or what opponents might do. Because then say, and you know, and he used it and he turned it around on, on some of the conservative lawmakers because, again, it's only Republican Party and typically the most conservative members of the Republican Party in the state that is pushing for this bill. Um, but so the Democrat turned it around and said, say there was someone coming or you were going to have a rally for President Trump, which is actually in our consciousness calendar, right? We have one coming up yeah. in the beginning of right. March. So say that there was a, a, a rally for Trump and you have opponents show up and they are because and, and they cause damage on purpose in order to uh, monetarily inflict pain upon those people that tried to rally. Because it doesn't say and it's and it's very difficult. It says those who organize the rally. So if it's a pro-Trump rally done by even the GOP itself, uh, the, you know, the Republican Party in this state, they could be held liable if the if counter protesters would do any sort of damage possibly. So it, it seems literally like an accident waiting to happen, almost like a lot of, of the things that have happened, you know, politically in the over the past year. But it just doesn't seem that it's even viable. Um, besides the fact that it probably wouldn't, like you said, sustain a, 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 a court challenge because of the freedom to assemble. Um, right. And the other point I think that was that was very interesting that some of the um, uh, the I guess the the liberals or the lefts or the or the Democrats or the snowflakes as some might call them, um, um, you know, one of the points that they were making was that um, there's just no way to really kind of bring it so that people can understand how to how to how to do it anymore. It's going to squash discussion, and you know, both of those things can happen. Correct. I, 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 again, this, this bill is so full of holes and just so ridiculous in its concept. I, I just, uh, it, it's, again, it's just embarrassing on the part of, of the, the Republicans in, in, in the legislature to you know, sponsor this. And basically, I think it is solely a reaction to their being aware that Arizona is going for Trump aside their president is not well-liked and not respected, and their protests against him and what he's doing are going to continue. I mean, they, they, they just look like nymphs, frankly. So it's an appalling bill, and I, I just hope it gets voted down. Yeah, I hope it never even makes the light of day, because I don't think Arizona needs any more um, uh, black eyes. And, you know, on on top of the rest of it... Um, there seems to already be laws, a lot of, you know, for any sort of riotous action. Um, of course. So, you know, right. I mean. You can, yeah. No, no, go ahead. If you want to add to that. I'm, no, I mean, what's the old saying? You know, your free speech rights are, are, are limited to a certain degree. It's like you can't say, you can't yell fire in a theater. You can't uh, be threatening violence or inciting violence. There are already laws that cover this, and people have been prosecuted for violating them. 
Yeah, you but know, people's it, right to peacefully and responsibly protest, that is a bedrock in the Bill of Rights. And uh, if Sylvia Allen, and, and I believe the other person is uh, one of the main sponsors of this, is, I'm, I'm sorry, Kavanaugh? Yeah. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. It's one of the main bills, the sponsors of this, that, right. they, that they don't understand this makes you wonder why they are, they're even in government. Frankly, they need to go back and reread the Bill of Rights because this... Yeah, I'm and because here. I'm just I'm all speechless about it. Right, and it's and, that bad. And because there's racketeering laws, if there is a belief or someone is able to convince police, or you know, who knows how it would ever be, you know, truly enacted, whether it would be police or whether it would be, you know, whether they would confer with county attorneys or other judges and want to cover themselves. But if this would pass, they would have the ability, and if it would sustain any any kind of court challenge. They would actually, what's written into it, would make it so that they could um, stop, they could arrest those planning events before they even have the event. Um, if, they're, if, if, they, if someone deems that it's, it's, it's going to create public disorder ahead of time, that they can arrest the people before they even have the event. Which is, you know, I mean, another reason why I just don't think it will last. And, and I don't think you can do that. There's no way, um, you know... It, if someone's going to blow up something, then you already have terrorism laws or other ways that this is going to be, you know, held. Um, and so if there are people are just going to have our protest, but they're going to shut things down and maybe do it, you know, without getting permits or in other ways, then there's already laws for that. There's no permits. The police will break it up. But, you know, trying to think that you can actually arrest people that are, pl- are, are planning events is, you know, seems to fly in the face of the U.S. Arizona constitutions. Orwellian and uh, and absurd in its content, um, and you, you know you're seeing bills like this in other states, other very red states. I believe it's South Dakota, and I might be wrong on that. I'm not looking at anything. They had a bill that gave people the right, basically, to run over anti-Trump protesters. I I just don't know how much more thuggish it gets than that. Uh, and so again, what it's says to me, ultimately, at the core of this entire movement, there are a lot of very insecure, scared people. And, you know, they should get some therapy for that and grow up. Right. <laughs> I, yeah, you I, know. I really, this is just, it's a terrible bill. I hope it fails. You know, and, and, and before we move on and go to our our next and largest topic, which we've been talking about lately, is uh, Senor Trump. I think I've decided on this podcast for sure I'm going to refer to him that way. <laughs> Um, I'll just call him Trump. <laughs> um, they have uh, is what we discussed in the beginning is these is also that the Arizona legislature is looking to finally scrap our 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 historic initiative process that that exists here in Arizona. Um, you know, and I just I just don't want it to go um, without mentioning that you know it was part of what made us become a state here in Arizona. We we're one of the first populous states to have that sort of thing go on. Um, it's and you know certain elements in the legislature have been trying to get rid of it since 1916 and you know the first initiative process that passed was that women got the right to vote here in Arizona um so you know it's historic and and you know I know that there's been things that the legislature doesn't agree with um for example medical marijuana and some other things um and the ones that they didn't disagree that the ones that they did disagree with they in the past got them to not be enacted by using different 
um, you know, you know, tactical procedural methods. And then finally, there was an initiative that passed it that said that they can't they can't mess with them at all. And and so now right. they're back to just getting rid of it. And um, you know, the initiative process in Arizona again historical, but it's also not very easy. And if you're able to get those kinds of um, you know petition signed, which we're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of signatures in order for to get on a ballot. And then you actually have people to come and vote for something, you know, then, then, then that's really the American way, as far as I'm concerned, in the democratic Republican process that we have. Um, so Correct. it's democracy in action. So, you know, I just didn't want it to go away without mentioning it too, because I mean, the protest thing seems is, is just kind of obviously, um, you know, tramples on some rights and you know the initiative process i think is a little bit more of that you know you know a lot of people just don't understand it but it's just as important and it can it can really make some changes in 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 our state that we don't um we might not be able to get through our uh our uh, elected representatives so um you know because a lot of things like uh with medical marijuana it just becomes a hot button issue where you have even some democrats don't want to come out and speak for it because it tars them in some in the eyes of some people in the electorate, and so it's a lot easier for it to kind of go to the people, and they get to go and do it privately in a ballot box. And some of those things are just the way they should be. And I'm, you know, I don't know. I wasn't polling in 1912 or whatever when women got the right to vote in Arizona, but I'm sure um, if you would have taken a public poll in the middle of the, the, the town square, um, there's probably more votes for it um, there than there were uh, in or in the ballot box than there were in the town square. So, uh, you know, that being said, I just, you know, I don't want to leave it and stay on it too long, but, um, I, but I do think it's important that people be aware of what these bills really are. It's just a way to further limit democracy. And it's, that's just, that's completely wrong. It's unacceptable. And this is another bill I hope chokes in the legislature there because it is not worthy of being passed now, for some more um, news that kind of trapes upon, um, uh, I guess, judicial oversight and, um, and legislative actions, we'll move on to Senor Trump. Uh, this week, or last week, since we last did our podcast, our Political Profundity podcast, um, he lost his national security advisor, Michael Flynn. Mm-hmm. Big loss, Karen? Or big gain. I'm sorry, I, I heard you. Yes. I know. I said, was it a big loss or a big gain? Um, <laughs> Depends on what side you're on. I, I think it was inevitable, given all the questions swirling around uh, whether or not, you know, what what Flynn really said to the Russians, uh, and uh, the fact that it, it, it clear. I mean, it looked like he just was lying flat out, uh, and of course, all the controversy that still is is daunting, and still uh, a problem for Trump's administration that that his administration or some people in his campaign colluded with the Russians to help him win an election. Um, You know, Flynn was sort of the sacrificial lamb. I I think, you know, you hear some more notorious types of conspiracy theories that they let him go because Flynn really didn't have any dirt on Trump that would end his presidency. Uh, uh, And Flynn was simply a controversial figure to begin with, given his comments about Muslims. His son spreading ridiculous rumors about Hillary Clinton on Twitter. Uh, just all kinds of embarrassing things that made him seem like a very poor choice for this role. And he was expendable. And uh, it, I, I frankly wasn't surprised when he left. I, I could feel that that was, that was coming 
about a week or two before he made the announcement he was stepping down, that he was resigning. Right. And, you know, um, that, you know, another very crappy choice that this administration has made. Does it hurt it with Trump's base? No, absolutely not. They don't care. But for most of the voting populace looked at this and, and sees uh, an administration in disarray. And that's not changing. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of uh, back and forth right up until the time where he was dismissed, where, you know, you had um, uh, Sean Spicer and um, Kellyanne Conway um, kind of almost uh, debating each other on what was happening with Flynn. And um, it, when it ultimately came down to it, you know, it, it seemed like Trump was basically saying, well, what he did wasn't necessarily wrong. It was that he lied to Mike Pence. Well, then it's like, well, then what he did in far as lying to Mike Pence was wrong. Um, so, you know, you know, there was a lot of uh, interesting, uh, like, we don't really even know what the true story is um, behind it or or really what went on and whether, you know, because because Pence seems to be one of those, you know, good soldiers in the background at this point. He's now he's never going to come out um, um, and 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 because he knows that his future is tied to Trump at this point. But. Um, you know, whether it was just him behind closed doors and, and, and that's what it really kind of seemed like in the end. Right. I, I mean, I don't think Pence came out of this looking very good either. Uh, but obviously they're not going to get rid of Mike Pence for many reasons, but uh, you know, this, you know, this turned out again, Flynn was, was expendable. Uh, I don't think he would have lasted all that long anyway, just given he seems somewhat unstable as well. Um, and you know, Marty Barron, of the, the publisher of the Washington Post, who, of course, is also known for being in charge of the Boston Globe when it broke the sex scandal regarding the Catholic right. Church. Right. Um, you know, he had a, a very interesting quote when, you know, Trump and others started railing against the Post on its reporting on Michael Flynn. And he said this story led directly to the general's dismissal as national security advisor. Now, calling press reports fake doesn't make them so. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Exactly. Um, you know, that's, I guess that's one of the biggest things lost, I think. You know, it's it's almost, you know, I think for some of us that kind of look at politics for a long time, you know that this whole thing with calling it fake news is just another way to deflect and spin. You know, it's a dangerous right. way to deflect and spin because you're just, you're lumping a valued member of, 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 of our republic, which is the journalism um, uh, community, um, you're you're basically cutting their legs out, and 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 you're making our republic, I think, weaker because of it. And I think a lot of people agree. Um, yeah, absolutely. Again, this is something that Trump's base cheers. The rest of the country sees it for what it is, which is, you know, bullying tactics, thuggish tactics, and uh, you know, an attempted diversion from what's really going on here. And again, I, I, we don't think we really know um, at this point. And I think that there's been talk that there's there's a lot of unsubstantiated stuff. There's a lot of things that are, are, are hidden behind it. But you know that there's at least somewhat of an investigation going on either at the FBI or the, G, or the DOJ. And then over the weekend, I think from Friday to Monday, um, they ran the gamut. So I think it was uh, Friday um, or over or on Saturday, um, uh, Daryl uh, Issa says... Um, you know, probably should have a special prosecutor. Um, he, he says that to Bill Maher and others. Um, and then, right. you know, early this morning, um, you had uh, George W. Bush talking about there, you know, there probably should be a special prosecutor. And then 
um, you have Nunez saying in the afternoon, no way, there's nothing even to look at. And he basically saying the same thing that Sean Spicer is, almost <laughs> word for word. It yeah, seems I, like, you know, they came out of the I same... I think Devin Nunez, uh, even though he won his re-election race here in California comfortably, but it, it's, it's looking like he's really carrying a lot of water for Trump right now, which may not be the best strategy for him if he wants to keep his seat in Congress. Um, you know, it just, it, again, it, it just looks like they're covering for him. It does. I, I think Darryl, in the case of Daryl Issa, who, you know, barely won re-election to his district last year, uh, I suspect, and he's also had some embarrassing news coverage here. He did not attend a town hall. And I, I think this is political cover for him. I think he realizes he's in real danger of losing next year. So he, and I suppose politically he's smart to try to get out in front of this. But, of course, you know, action's going to have to follow words. If Issa truly believes this, he should be using his power in Congress to make this happen. I haven't seen much of that so far. Right, uh, I right, mean, it's, right. I think it's, it's blatantly obvious what Devin Nunez is doing. And uh, so, if, you know, again, I say and other Republicans, if they truly believe uh, that an investigation is needed, then they should be bringing that to the forefront. Yeah, and, 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 you know, we don't really know, I think, because this is a different political scene, as we know. We can kind of talk about it and say, well, there's always the, you know, you know people trying to fall in line behind the Republican president. And, and it's a different dynamic than when George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush was the president. And, well, and, and, you know, and there's some people right, like and I, I think, and, you know, it's funny, Bush is getting quite a bit of praise from people in the past who normally couldn't stand him. Uh, even though he's correct here, it, and it, it's a known fact the Bush family is not fond of Donald Trump. Right. Uh, and that has never really been. Um, but it, it's still quite telling to me that this former Republican president, and we all know George W. Bush knew very well how to play to the GOP base, which interestingly enough now, if you're seen on social media, is turning against him. You know, so much for all that loyalty eight years ago, right? Right. Uh, uh, but the fact that Bush is saying this is pretty incredible, in my opinion. I, you know, again, there's a huge bubble around Trump, around his administration, around his partisans in the media, and his supporters. And that's the bubble they're in. But there, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of calling uh, calls for some investigation to happen here. What's what, what? What? I think a lot of people are waiting for is for the shooting to drop and and for the investigation to go forward. Yeah, and you know, I think the the amount that some Republican lawmakers are going to have to go to in order to calm their conscience when you see, um, I think, a president operating in the way that he is, um, and 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 some of the things that they say, um, I think, is going to be borne out over time, and I think that that might be also part of ICE's, um, you know, situation. I think is that you know, I think. Over the course of the election, he was one of the ones where you would see uh, under a Romney administration, I think he would have been one of the loyal soldiers and he would have fought right. you know, and backed him up to 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 till Neverland. But then with Trump, I think it's a different thing. And he's one of those guys that, you know, and even Chaffetz and, uh, you know, I think that they see things differently. And those, you know, if we're talking about a month, month and a half um you know, not, I guess not even a month and a half. It's only a month into this administration, and you're already having people break ranks. They already talk of a special prosecutor, um, as we talked about months ago. It's like a Shakespearean tragedy playing out before our own eyes. 
<laughs> and it doesn't well, get again, any better. You can expect the more partisan GOP people like Jason Chavitz to fight as hard as they can. And again, even though right now, Chavez is not particularly doing very well in his own district either. Uh, I, I think there's just there's going to be that sort of critical mass that has to be reached when they finally realize they have to do this, and that's going to come from the, the people themselves, constantly pressuring their Congress people to demand an investigation, to hold Trump accountable. Uh, and, of course, if next year if the GOP loses Congress, which uh, if last year, even if Hillary Clinton had won the Electoral College, I would have said was not possible. But with every single day, it seems like it may very well be a reality, at least in the House. I, I don't think the GOP is going to lose the Senate. That would that would take an incredible turnout plus some other pretty amazing uh, occurrences to to happen. But, you know, the GOP is seriously risking losing the House if they do not have some way of holding Trump accountable or at least getting to the bottom of what really happened with Russia. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think the Russia thing is going to be huge, I think, going into the midterms. But, you know, the thing I think we always have to remember yeah. is is that um, – the energy has to stay there on the on the Correct. on the on the Democratic side, and on on and on the Republican side, they have to maintain their energy too, um, and and so you know you might got you know get some of those people that are on the fence that were on the fence, um, you know uh, where they they just always fall in line. The Republicans that always fall in line fell in line. They might not get actually get out of their house to go vote in midterms just because they're so sick of what's going on, um, and so that's one of their chances. But the other thing is that. Of, of, of how gerrymandered most of the uh, congressional districts and state legislative houses are in this country, those are going to be the important things, I think, to see going forward, um, whether they can um, even break through, because, as you know, it's 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 tough, uh, period. Because oh, it's extraordinarily tough. I, I'm not saying, I think if the Democrats do take back the, by the House, it'll be by a slim margin. But right. there are seats, and that includes Daryl Issa, and it may even include Devin Munoz, is now, right. that are vulnerable. Right. And now, again, the Democrats have to have solid candidates who can win, number one. Nobody's predicting that. Number two, they <laughs> have to be able to have a smart campaign in terms of getting people out. That's also the big question here. Yeah, well, focusing happens, on the right things, I, don't I think. Know, but you know, because... I do think there is a stronger chance now, given kind of the disgust and the opposition to Trump's administration and a lot of anger over these unanswered questions with Russia. Yeah, and but I, you know, and, and, lot, and it's... Lot, a, you know, I, I always say, a lot can happen between now and the next election. Right, you know, but if... You know, if, every, every day there's a different dynamic to the situation. Right. And I, I just, I don't think, well, the Democrats are certainly clumsy when it comes to managing these things, that's for sure. Right. Uh, you know, Devin Nunez and the GOP right now, they're not doing themselves any favors. Right, right. Yeah, and it's, and you know, it's really going to come down, I think, to those those issues we talked about before. And, but if, you know, if Trump is gone, then, you know, maybe people are trying to pick it up. But the last thing is that with with Trump never serving in a political role before, it is really the first time that there's going to be a, a you know, for for lack of a better word, a referendum on how he governs, um, and that's going to be the midterms because, as we right. know, there was a lot of you know, he, and he keeps saying, "Hey, that's what I campaigned on. Why are you so surprised?" Well, I know you know a lot of conservative Republican friends of mine 
um, in the in the you know while he was running and even after they said, well, he's not going to really do that because people are so ex- <laughs> you know so used to politicians have the saying one thing on a campaign trail and then there's you know the different realities of governing and especially for a president um, where you might not get you know cross certain lines that you said you would on the campaign trail or just that well, you're not I- allowed to do and I, you know one of the things I think that catches Trump off guard is you know in his private family business he set a budget and that's the way the budget could be well now he's got a congress that actually passes the budget he just gets to make a suggestion to them that that they don't follow it a hundred percent you know even when it's your own party like it is so he's you know it's it's a lot harder to get what you want and and even in the first 30 days you know he's operating i think completely off of the realm of, of 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 what it takes to govern and, you know, let alone being a governor or a senator, he, he stepped into the largest political job in the world. Well, that's correct. And he, he clearly, while he may have the skills to campaign and keep his base happy, that's not translating to the general public as a whole. And you're seeing a lot of outcry, which has been part of these town halls that have taken Republicans by surprise. People don't want the ACA messed with any more than they want Medicare or Social Security messed with. And, and you've had Trump's budget director say, well, we're not going to quite go after entitlements the way he wants. That's something completely different right now from what people, what people like Paul Ryan want. And, of course, the, the, you know, they've admitted as much as admitted, we have, no, we have no alternative plan for ACA. So, you know, this is just, this is not, again, this is not shaping up to be a particularly strong, uh, you know, to them in terms of getting the public to go along with this. Not right now, at least. So let's go on to our next topic on Trump. And, you know, it's been, we've talked about it. It's been talked about in other places. Um, some of the comparisons to uh, the Nixon White House and the Trump White House. Um, you know, uh, you got to also say that so far it seems like um, Nixon is Einstein. Um Compared to Trump's uh, caveman. Well, Nixon was a brilliant man, like him or not. He's, he's certainly was far more intelligent than Donald Trump is. So. Sure, but, you know, there's also the uh, uh, paranoid, I guess, tendencies. Um, you know, we also yeah. know that, you know, I mean, and I guess. where he and the Donald have something very much in common. We all know how that ended up for Nixon. Right, and 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 you know we talked about that it was the really the plumbers um, that uh, that gave Nixon the most trouble. Um, um, it, it was the payoffs to the people who were trying to basically stop the leaks, which is what the plumbers are. Right, so you know Trump's been complaining about the same thing um, so far. Um, you know the leaky White House, and you know blaming that on on what happened to Flynn, blaming that on 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 things getting out. He's I just think he's he's appalled and bewildered by the fact that there's leaks in politics. And I think both of us covering even, you know, the local and state level politics of, that we have um, aren't surprised at that one bit. It kind of comes with the territory. Absolutely. If Hillary Clinton were president right now, although I don't think you, I, I think these leaks are telling for another reason, because obviously I think there are many within the government right now who are, you know, disheartened or at the very least alarmed by what Trump is doing. And that's a part of the reason why there are so many leaks, I believe, coming out from certain areas of his administration as well as other governmental agencies. 
I don't know if you'd have that happening as much with Hillary Clinton or perhaps the more legitimate Republican. Right. And, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what, what news source it was that I was looking at, but um, I think it may, you know, it might have been um, Talking Points Memo. It might have been Washington Post. I can't really remember right now. But, um, you know, they were talking about how um, there's leaks, but there's just as many leaks coming that seem like they're coming on purpose from the Trump administration. And Correct. so, you know, it's like, well, you can't do one and complain about the other only. Like, you want to leak, but you don't want, you know, you want to leak what you want to leak, and but you don't want anybody else to leak anything, which doesn't really work in the political world. You know, it's just kind of part of what goes on. It's, it's you know, there's also the difference between private business where you can keep things secret and say uh, me as a reporter and and, or, and you as well we would go and say hey we want to get um, the expense report for this private company from this month well they would just say no and that's it I mean they can say no and and we're done you go to a federal government a state government a local government it's already been set in law that the public has a right to know these things so Unless it's classified information, it's basically public knowledge anyway. And so whether they're leaking it or not, it's not really a secret. It's just that it's not really out there. And it, but it doesn't necessarily break any laws unless it's classified information. Correct. You know, so it's, it's, I, you know, I think it's interesting that, it's, you know, to kind of be, you know, f- you know further on that topic... I think that Trump has always been used to being his own best PR man. And when you're president, that can't happen. Yeah. So I, I think he feels out of control with his press relations. I mean, that you know, personally, that's the way I see it. He seems like a guy that did his own PR forever, and now he can't right. control it one bit. And he's got to have other people do it for him because you can't be the president and do that. I mean, that's like a full-time job. He would do that full-time for a few weeks at a time, and then he would go on to being you know, the rich billionaire that he was and going on vacation. Um, so, you know, I, I think those things are very frustrating to him, but it seems like you're going down a road where if anybody wants to... We talked about the special prosecutor within a month, but if you're also a guy who they know are hiring people and security experts and really trying to crack down uh, Sean Spicer, they're doing phone checks, they're really coming down on their own people... That's when you start having this special fund and where they're funding these from and how it's coming, just like in Watergate with the plumbers. That's what really ended up bringing them down. And, you know, you wonder whether that's going to go down the same route because you once you start having an internal White House enforcement force and plumbers, um, you're, you're already walking on a line of illegality that, that totally exceeds your conflict of interest with your business. Um, and and it, it it becomes that that you know we talk about Orwellian it becomes like that it be, you know and so and it seems like a, a like a like like a really huge flashing red light we need to keep our eye on. Well, right, and I I think at the end of the day the Trump administration seems to think it's insoluble and that uh, nothing's ever going to touch it. Well. You know, that kind of arrogance, as we've seen many, many times, regardless of the political party, that always ends up working against said administration. And I think we're going to see that with this one, too. So, besides the leaks, talking about leaks, um, (laughs) 
his budget proposal, I guess, has leaked. Um, probably, yeah. probably officially, because he he didn't come out saying that it was fake news or that the news media sucks. Um, it seems like it was one of those kinds of things that typically happen without anybody complaining in the old days. Um, he wants to dramatically, President Trump or his administration wants to dramatically increase defense-related spending by 50, excuse me, $54 billion while cutting other federal agencies by the same amount. Um, I don't know, Karen. I, I, you know, I just want to leave that one to you. I don't even know what to say about that one. <laughs> Again, we'll see what those who voted for him, once the entitlement programs they use, we'll see what they say when those are gone. If these all do really end up on the chopping block, which, I'm, you know, it's funny. I suspect you're going to see more than a few Republican Congress people who understand how badly that could hurt them in their district. And there's going to be a lot of hemming and hawing and pushing back against this. Um, and, and furthermore, making cuts to programs are one thing. But at the end of the day, I seriously doubt that that alone is going to be able to pay for 54, 54 million, excuse me, billion dollars in defense spending. So how are they going to pay for that? I don't know about you. I'm not seeing any real explanation for that. Well, I mean, it, no, it really no. Well, he is saying like a smoke and mirrors budget. Well, he was saying he was going to do dollar for dollar. Triple the deficit, or dollar you know, for dollar isn't going to do anybody good. Dollar for dollar cuts in social programs. I mean, it's, it's clearly been what he said that they're going to do. We just don't know what the programs were. And I think Schumer and Pelosi had a had a press conference today saying we can't say for sure because they haven't said anything. They just say they're going to do fifty four billion more for 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 uh, military spending, um, and 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 then just do social program cuts, not Social Security, not Medicare is what they're saying. Um, but, you know, again, who knows for sure where it's going to come from? I mean, talked right. about gutting the EPA. There you go. I mean, that's probably a couple billion right there. Right. Again, I, I think a lot of Americans, once they figure out, wait a minute, this is going to affect me. They're not going to like this budget. You know, I, I think it's it's pretty fair to say, and I say this to somebody who supports a strong military. Certainly, I think we spend plenty on the military. Yeah, uh, um, the idea here. about this lie that Trump was uh, selling, which worked, of course, for his base, that our military is somehow unprepared and weak and not strong enough, is nonsense. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, only time will will tell, but I suspect you're going to see a lot of public public pushback. You uh. He's proposing in this. You open the door to um, you think we spend enough, so let's go to the stats that we um, have have gathered up here, um, and I think this data is from uh, SIPRI, which is let's go exactly to find out what that in. Nah, nah, nah. I'm taking it off the normal wiki page but it comes from SIPRI which is the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute they're the ones who are, who are giving us this data here um, we think we can rely on it um, they're not a bunch of guys sitting in a garage somewhere or by the way something we don't have on this we could talk about later like that Swedish defense consultant or analyst that they had on Fox News which I'm sure you saw over the weekend yeah. O'Reilly had him on his <laughs> This, you know, seems like a real source. Anyway, um, as far as a percentage of GDP, military spending is highest in Oman. And again, a bunch of uh, Arabian Gulf countries here. Oman, Saudi Arabia, 
Iraq, Algeria, the United Arab Emirates, then Russia, Israel, Colombia, Pakistan, and the United States as far as a percent of GDP. So we end up being one, two, three, four, five. Tenth in a percent of GDP, and it's at 3.3% of GDP. Oman is the top at 16.2% of GDP. Saudi Arabia, 13.7%. Russia, 5.4%. Okay, and once you get to Colombia, um, Pakistan, and the United States, they're all, you know, 3.5% to 3.3%. So it's kind of negligible. Okay, we're, um, you really got Oman and Saudi Arabia up in, do- uh, in double digits, Iraq almost at 10%. And then uh, Algeria, the United Arab Emirates, and Russia within the six to five and a half, and and Israel. But then if you go to what the actual spending is, uh, and by the way, let's throw out China. Um, They do 1.9% of their GDP. Um, But as far as military spending per billions of dollars, the United States in 2015 which I guess needs to be upped by Donald Trump by $54 billion. We already spent outspent the world. And number one, $597 billion.5. Mm-hmm. China. Dollars, more than half a trillion dollars. China was second. Okay, you know, again, this is, well, this is Trump just basically playing to his base. This is not a serious budget. This is, you know, there, there's no real plan behind it. It's as usual with him, it's superficial. And, you know, he may get away with it, but in terms of adding to the deficit and the kind of corroding effects that could have on a lot of other aspects of American life, it's troubling. Yeah, uh, China is number two. So we're there at 597, so let's round it up to 600 billion. China is the second at 145 billion. I mean, you know, we're we're talking, you know, triples. Quadruple times as much as these other countries are spending on their military. Even Saudi Arabia, which spends 13.7% of their GDP, that's only $81 billion. Um, Russia, um, yeah, they might be at 5.4% of GDP, but they're only spending $65.6 billion. So, you know, I mean, we're talking 8, 9, 10 times. We spend 8, 9, 10 times more than Russia does on their, on their defense spending. And so to do another... 10% increase on our defense spending is it, it, it's 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 slightly baffling in, for anyone who looks at the numbers. It absolutely is. Again, this is like most of what he proposes. There's a lot of bombast, there's a lot of bluster, but there's very little substance behind it. And I I don't think they're going to get everything they want from this. I think the Republicans in Congress, some of whom are probably feeling a lot of heat right now from their their constituents, as well as, as, as Democrats, who, you know, they don't have the numbers, but they could certainly make a lot of noise. I don't quite think Trump is going to get everything he wants here. We'll see who he tries to blame for that. It certainly won't be himself. You know, the last thing I just want to bring up on this, on this topic here, um, because, again, we're going to have more details. I'm sure we'll have more discussion and um, what we're going to segue into next, the uh, uh, you know, Trump's... Uh, one, thing, one quick thing, though. I'm seeing just one quick thing. There's a news alert where uh, CBS saying Daryl Issa is now backtracking uh, on the call for special prosecutors. So I can tell you what that is. It, he's now probably getting primary threats. Yeah, he's getting pressure. And go, somebody's people. saying we're going to spend... There's your in action. Yeah. your Congress, I should say. Yeah, they're going to spend... Thank you. <laughs> yeah, somebody's PAC is going to spend, uh, um, you know... Uh, 
zero percent of GDP on uh, on 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 beating him in the primary probably. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, uh, you know, the last thing I want to say on the on the defense spending is worldwide total supposedly is one point six trillion or one thousand six hundred and seventy six billion. Um, and so the United States basically takes up a third of that, a little more than a third of of defense spending across the world is the United States military. So, you know, again, people can take that as they seem, but when you say that you're going to restore a military that's already been outspending the world year after year, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any sense. So... It's the last thing I'm going to say on that, and let's move on to topic number, our last topic here. Senor Trump, we will, he will be at a joint session of Congress. Dun, dun, dun. What do you expect, Karen? <laughs> well, uh, you, you probably, I mean, I, you know, as usual, I don't think he's really said what he's going to talk about. I can't imagine the Democrats giving him a very warm welcome. Uh, certainly the Republicans will. Uh, I'd be surprised if it were a substantive speech because he's yet to really give one. Um, and, but I will say this, I, if, he, if he's smart at all, he might try to, you know, clamp down on some of his greater urges to be the showman. I don't think that's going to work out in this type of speech at all. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be the showman out there. And it's, it's, he may it's, very well. Uh, but, but, you know, again, that'll play well with his face, the rest of the country... And the world, not so much. It won't. It won't help him win any uh, fans over. It won't help him be taken any more seriously on a global scale. So I, I you know, one of the, uh, I think that one of the pieces we were reading on from uh, the Hill, um, they reported that uh, several, um, you know, Democrats are going to be um, bringing either. Um, Immigrants to this country who are undocumented, some of the dreamers um, you know, that that from from you know the Obama policy, which of course Trump is 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 supposedly keeping. At least he said at some point last week, but there wasn't anything I don't think in writing on that. Um, and some other people that are bringing um, um, immigrants from the predominantly Muslim countries um, that that were banned, and some other folks. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. They're also talking about how there might be a different play that people might not really um, stake out those center seats um, in hope of being able to shake the president's hand, like is typically done on both sides of the aisle. Um, but that the you know I, the Democrats are really going to stay I, away from that. I just can't imagine. And again, you know, again, people can throw out certain arguments about well, how is that going to help in terms of, of unity or healing the partisan divide, but. You know, Trump, Trump, frankly, has no one but himself to blame for how most of the public looks at him, and that includes most Democrats. So, no, I, I don't see them getting, you know, getting in line to want to shake his hand or really, you know, they'll be there and they'll sit and they'll listen. Uh, hopefully the whole thing goes in a civil manner. But, uh, you know, look, this is somebody most Democrats don't like. You're just going to have to live with that. Yeah, you know, and as we've seen, there's I think there's a lot of very uncomfortable um, Republicans. Um, you oh, know. absolutely, especially ones in swing districts and in blue states. Again, I, I honestly think, you know, the, like the Democrats were about seven, you know, seven, uh, I'm sorry, I should say nine, it's going on seven years ago, seven, eight years ago now. I don't think the Democrats were expecting the kind of backlash they got from independent voters 
been from Republican voters in the 2010 elections. I think Republicans seem to be adopting the same sort of dismissive attitude, and that's really not a smart thing for them to do. Yeah, and, there is a lot of anger and a lot of pushback going on in places you wouldn't expect it, like Jason Chavez's district in Utah, like top for Senator Tom Cotton or Senator Marco Rubio. Mm-hmm. And granted, those two, you know, Rubio just got reelected. Cotton isn't up for reelection until 2020. But nevertheless, there's definitely a wave coming here. Karen, I can't thank you enough for spending some more time so that we could share with everyone else about uh, some of these political issues. Probably come back in a couple weeks, but I also wanted to see, unless there's, you know, you know if there's something big that comes out of this joint session, I mean, because we don't know. I mean, it seems like... Who knows our... what he's going to say? I mean, he could surprise everybody. I wouldn't bet any money on that, and I'm from Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I might be wrong, but I, I don't think, I just don't see Donald Trump making any sincere effort to reach out to people did not vote for him and do not trust him. So let's, um, you know, if we might be coming back with a special podcast later this week, if um, if, if there's something that happens in this uh, uh, statement to the joint session um, that we feel like we want to talk about it, right, Karen? And if not, Karen and I will be back in a couple weeks um, bringing you more political profundity. Thanks again, Karen. Always great to talk to you, and especially when I get to share these conversations with the world. Well, thank you, and thank you so much to everybody listening out there. We really appreciate it. We sure do. Come join us next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.